The text for the message this morning is Genesis chapter 49, starting at verse 29. We'll read into 50. Genesis 48 and 49, we could see where the, when, the Lord, when Jacob blessed his sons and told them what would happen. And that's what the verse 28 summarizes. And then Genesis 49, verse 29, hear the word of the Lord. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mitzrayim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. 
After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And then continues verses 15 to 21, when the brothers come to Joseph and seek his forgiveness for the evil they had done. And we looked at that already in connection with Genesis 45. So the text continues then in verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. <laughs> Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the picture of Genesis 50 is quite interesting to, to think about. A great company of Egyptian chariots and horsemen, warriors, soldiers, escort the highest dignitaries of Pharaoh's court to a threshing floor near the Jordan River. And the grievous lamentation that rose up to heaven and lasted seven days was so very great that the local Canaanite inhabitants saw it and they named the place Abel Mitzrayim, which means the meadow or the place of Egypt. And so for a brief moment in time, Israel, Canaan, and Egypt stood one beside the other to contemplate death. What brought these unlikely companions together the Lord in his providence gathered the nations to stand at the mouth of the grave of Jacob, the patriarch of his church, in order to mourn, to pay tribute, and to cry out for comfort in the, in the face of death. They were hoping together that there was more to this life than what we see with our eyes. But although they each had their own different legends and myths to explain and expectations concerning the dead, only one nation had the promise of the eternal God of the living, who was the maker of heaven and earth. Jacob's public burial proclaimed the hope of the eternal God to all those around him. Funerals are a good time to declare our faith in God. The body of Jacob had been embalmed by the Egyptians. If it one of just he and Joseph and all the Bible were embalmed by the Egyptians. 
And they believed that after the souls of the dead had been tested and tried in the underworld, these souls might want to return to their bodies, so they had an elaborate procedure to preserve the bodies of those who died. But Jacob had never asked for his body to be preserved in this way because he knew that his God could do more than just serve him as a guide through the tunnels of the underworld. Jacob knew that his God had promised to destroy death itself through one of his descendants. And Jacob proclaimed his hope and faith through his dying wishes concerning his burial. He did not want his sons to forget God's promises. And he wanted all the nations to know that the Lord, the God of Jacob, is a wonderful Savior. By God's grace, Jacob's burial proclaims the riches of God's promises and his victory over death one more time today. We know more than Jacob because we know the Savior that God has sent to destroy, to take away the sting of death. And yet, death is still around as the last enemy. We still have to bury our loved ones. And one day we know that unless our Lord Jesus returns first, we ourselves will die. The revelation of Jacob's burial declares to us that although we are mortal and we die, God is eternal and he will continue to bring salvation to the world through his church in future generations. Christ's victory over death gives us great courage for today, great hope for tomorrow, even as we die. And I preach to you this gospel, the promise of Christ's victory over death gives undying hope to believers who die. We'll see that it gives us hope when we prepare for death, hope when we bury our loved ones, and hope when we ourselves face death. As we look at our text, we can see that Jacob is a patriarch, a father of the church. He had the office of representing the kingdom of God on earth in a very specific time in the history of redemption. Like his father and his grandfather, he was a sojourner on the earth. And the only land he owned as he drew near to his death was a grave in Canaan full of the bones of his ancestors. We read that, Genesis 49, 31, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and his first wife, Leah. You'll remember that Rachel had been buried while he was traveling near Bethlehem. And although we may not care too much where our bodies are buried, our text makes it clear that for Jacob, it was very important. It was so important to him that long before he died, he already hewed out for himself a tomb in the same cave as his wife, his parents, and his grandparents. 
It was so important to him that he made Joseph swear. Even after Joseph had promised to do what he asked, he made Joseph swear that he would carry him to Canaan. And then in chapter 49, verse 29, we read, He commanded his sons to go to Egypt and to lay his dead body there. Why would Jacob be so worried about having his body laid to rest among the thorn bushes in, by the Jordan? Atad means thorn bushes. By the thorn bushes by the Jordan rather than in the lush delta of the mighty Nile? Why would he put his family through all the trouble of pleading with Pharaoh and traveling through the dangerous countryside to the north and the east of Egypt? Why did he do that? Well, first, we need to understand what the graveyard was all about. After God promised the church that he would bring the promised Savior in the land of Canaan through the descendants of Abraham, the promised land Canaan turned into a waiting place, like a waiting room. And when the Savior didn't come in his lifetime, Abraham symbolized his faith in the promise of God by buying a plot in the land of Canaan. He invested in the promise. And the cave he bought in the land, uh, he bought in the field of Ephron the Hittite, that is in the field at, at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, a very specific place, it became a real earthy guarantee and a pledge of his own part in God's plan of salvation. Jacob was very specific about which cave and which field he wanted his body to be buried in because he wanted to let, let everybody know that he had the same faith as Abraham and as Isaac and their wives. He wanted his body to be beside the bones of his fellow church members he wanted his body to be slipped under the same comforting blanket of God's promises that gave hope to his forefathers. It was a way of, of publicly declaring that he believed the promises of God, that he received the sign of the reality that was coming. He believed that a Savior would come in the flesh on the earth and that he would crush the head of the serpent and destroy him who holds people in his grip by their fear of death. Although Jacob could share in the blessing wherever he would have been buried, Jacob wanted his burial to be a signal of hope for the future generations. Jacob was looking forward to the future of the church. He was like Moses. Moses gave a song that the people would sing in the future, and he gave that song before he died. And like David, David also did that. He, he prepared everything for the building of the temple before he died. So also Jacob 
prepared his family for God's ongoing work of salvation by getting them involved in a very specific and special burial in the land of Canaan. He prepared for his death by ensuring that the next generation knew what God had promised for them. He made it clear that his patriarchal blessings that, that told them what would happen in the days to come, that, that the blessings we read about in Genesis 49, he wanted them to know that these were true. It would really happen. They were not just empty words of an old man. They would return to the promised land. They would receive a portion in their inheritance. Jacob was going on ahead of them, and his bones would rest there together with the other patriarchs as a guarantee, a pledge for the people of Israel. And so when the 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt came, they could remember that they would not be wiped out forever. It was a sign of the power of God. A king would truly come from Judah's line, as we read about in chapter 49, promised starting at verse 8. And this king would crush Satan and would crush death forevermore. Jacob prepared for his death by ensuring that the promises of God remained in the center of the lives of his children and his grandchildren, even in their hardship and in their tribulations, so that they too might live for what is unseen rather than for the temporary things around them. You see, when the Holy Spirit gives us certainty about the truth of the gospel, the forgiveness of our sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, we also want to share this gospel with the coming generations. Preparing for our death is not just about making our own burial arrangements, buying a coffin ahead of time, but it is about ensuring that the hope of the gospel will remain strong among the living and in the coming generations. And today we don't do this by making specific burial arrangements in one particular country. We are not a, a patriarch. We're not like Jacob and his situation. But we prepare the, our, for our death by speaking openly about the hope that is within us. We tell the next generation about the Savior who was born in the promised land. The Savior who has conquered death, like we could sing together in some of the beginning songs of today <clears throat> in hymn 41. We tell the generation that Jesus Christ has conquered death and their bodies will not remain in the grave forever. They will be lifted up to the promised land, the promised glory of heaven. We tell the next generation that we have a Savior in heaven, in the flesh, who is preparing rooms for 
those for whom he had died. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the spirit in our heart is a guarantee of what is coming. We prepare for our death when we join our words to our deeds. And we ensure that there is a church in our area where our children, where, where the next generation can hear the gospel being preached. We prepare for our death when we show the next generation that we believe that God's promises are real, that we're not just going through the motions. When we band together to build schools, to, to send missionaries, to invest time and money in the kingdom of God. Just like the patriarchs invested in the land of Canaan. We prepare for our death by proclaiming to the world that we believe that God's work will continue even after we die. And then when we have done as, as much as we can, thinking of the next generation, revealing our faith that God's work will continue, that his, he will continue to gather his people, then we can die like Jacob did in peace. Verse 33 says, and you can imagine Jacob sitting on the edge of his bed as an old, frail man, commanding his sons what they need to do, how they need to bury him. And then we read, he finished commanding them, he, he drew up his feet, he, he lifted his feet up and put them into his bed like, like he was just going to sleep for a little while. He died in peace. He was at peace because not only did he leave his children in a place where they were thriving economically, although it was still a dangerous situation, but because he had done as much as he could to ensure that the next generation would know and cling to the promises of God. The hope would begin in a little plot of land, a graveyard, in the land of Canaan, in the promised land. Then it would spread to include a, a whole nation. And it would grow to include people from all nations in, in the world. And as a result, today we have hope when we bury our loved ones. Because it is terribly difficult to see our loved ones dying. And no matter how much we prepare ourselves intellectually, and no matter how much we comfort ourselves with the promise of heaven for those who believe, death always comes to us as a shock. Although Jacob had lived a full life, 147 years, 17 of those in Egypt, although he had seen all his sons and and many of his grandsons and had a good talk with all his children before the Lord took him home. When he died, Joseph was heartbroken. He fell on his father's face and wept over him and he kissed him. He was thankful for the opportunity to be there to 
close his father's eyes as the Lord had promised to Jacob in Genesis 46, verse 4. And yet he was overcome with sorrow that he could no longer continue this pilgrimage on earth with his father. Joseph's mourning, unlike the mourning of the Egyptians, Joseph's mourning was sincere. It was heartfelt. It wasn't just a right to, to show their obedience to, their, to, the, to Jacob like the Egyptians had as they tried to increase the odds of his blessing after he died. But Joseph was mourning death. Death is still a painful reality of our existence. For Joseph, the, the promise of redemption could only be seen in a, a little plot of land. His hope was placed in a cave grave hundreds of kilometers away. God's people would suffer, suffer oppression in Egypt for 400 years. The, the weight of the, the curse against sin comes bearing down on Joseph, on, on all God's people as we grieve. We wait for the Savior to come. We, our hearts cry out for more. But in the meantime, our reality is that of which we sing in Psalm 90. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80 Yet their span is toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Those who are left behind, those who must stand at the side of the grave, they can feel that burden. Our grief increases our dissatisfaction with sin and the fall. It increases our longing for the fulfillment of the promises. You, you can see the, the importance of, of also spending time in the place of mourning, the importance for your spiritual well-being because it drives you to seek more, to, to hold on to words that God has spoken, how we run to the Scriptures when we face death, how we look for the Gospel in the house of mourning. We cling to the promises of God to give us more. God's promise to send a Savior in the promised land, it was a source of great strength for Joseph in his time of mourning. The Lord had sworn by his own name that his people would return to the promised land. They would see the Savior whom God would send. God's people can respond to their grief over death. They can know they will not be defeated by death. This is not a day of despair. And Joseph proclaimed the promise of God that Jacob believed by ensuring that the church's hope in the coming Savior in God's plan of redemption, that hope was visible in Jacob's burial. He wanted that hope to be known when he gathered together with his brothers in the foreign land. He, draw, he brought all attention to that hope in Jacob's burial. Think of all the people who heard 
about Jacob's hope and faith in God. The physicians, the healers who embalmed him, Pharaoh's servants who went to go talk to Pharaoh on Joseph's behalf, Pharaoh himself, the elders of Joseph's house, the Egyptian nobility, the military escort, and perhaps even the Canaanites. They all heard of Jacob's dying wish to hope in the resurrection. And then we read in Genesis 50, verses 12 to 14, the, the declaration that the nation of Israel, Jacob's sons, also believed. They had faith in God's promises. Thus, we read, his sons did for him as he had commanded him. Leaving the Egyptians and the Canaanites at the threshing floor of Atad on the east side of the Jordan, the family that had been so plagued with divisions and fighting in the past, they came together around the tomb of their father in the unity of true faith. That's why the, the brothers were so emboldened to approach Joseph, to, to bring full reconciliation to the family. There was more to this life. It wasn't worth it to keep living in fear, to keep fighting. There was eternal life. And so the brothers took their stand. They declared their faith in the continuation of God's plan. In spite of their own sins and weaknesses, yes, even in spite of the curse of death, God's people would cling to the undying hope that God grants to all believers who die. And brothers and sisters, today we know more than Jacob did. We know more than Joseph did because we know Jesus Christ. We can sing about his complete victory over death. We can see that that hope of the patriarchs, that plan of God, continued and continued and, and came to fruition in, this, in the victory of Jesus Christ. And we know that he is in heaven and he is coming again. And as we read this, we ask ourselves the question, do we turn to this comfort when our loved ones become very sick and even die? When we go to a home like where our brother John Langkamp is, his health is deteriorating, do we find hope in his strength in the doctors and the nurses or, or in the promise and the comfort of God? Though our hearts may feel very empty when our loved ones pass away, when our eyes fill with many tears for many, many years, we can be assured that God has wonderful things planned for those who believe in him. We have a guarantee. Our Lord Jesus has obtained the, the, the forgiveness of our sins. And by his righteousness, he has broken the teeth of the grave so that everyone who believes in him, though he die, will live and will continue to serve him. And that's also our hope when we prepare to face death. Because as we accompany our loved ones to the grave, we have to think about ourselves too. We have to think about our own preparation. We have to think about our own death. In fact, we can get a foretaste of 
what we can expect for ourselves someday unless our Lord Jesus returns first to take us immediately into heaven. Yes, brothers and sisters, we will breathe our last breath. And we will enter through the door of death into the promised land of eternal life, just like our ancestors before us. And the weight of this truth is especially highlighted in our text. We will walk the same journey our text declares to us. The burial journey to Canaan is found in the greater context of God's deliverance from slavery and the future entry of his people into the promised land, which is described in the books to come after Genesis. If you look closely at our text, you'll notice that for some reason or another, the great company that went up from Egypt carrying Jacob's body, they, they traveled around the east side of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. They took the, the long way around. And there beyond the Jordan, on its east side, the Egyptians waited while Jacob's sons brought his body across the Jordan westward back into Canaan. And when you compare this to the journey that the Israelites made in the exodus from Egypt, when God saved them from their oppression and slavery, you can see that they followed a similar route. They took a similar journey. They too stopped at the east side of the Jordan, beyond the Jordan. And then after Moses died on the east side, Joshua led them across the Jordan westward into Canaan as they passed Gilgal and went up to Jericho. 400 years later, Joseph's bones would make the same journey as his father Jacob. And the Holy Spirit shows us that the burial of Jacob was prophetic. There was more than just the bones of the patriarchs in the promised land to give them hope. As they made this journey, they could already know the future generations would make it again. At the end of Genesis 50, we see that Joseph died at 110 years old. And he repeated to his brother that God would surely visit them and bring them too up out of the land of Egypt in the land that he swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Hebrews 11 verse 22, which was displayed on the wall as you came in today, tells us, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. It was by faith, the promise of God's deliverance, the promise that God would lift them up also to bring them to the promised land, that Joseph, who seemed to have so much in Egypt, sons and grandsons who he even took for himself wealth and honor and fame and respect. Joseph knew he needed more. Joseph knew his hope was not on the things he could see. What was in his mind when he was about to die? It was the same as what was in the mind of 
Jacob and Leah, and his grandparents Isaac and Rebekah, and their great-grandparents Abraham and Sarah. He wanted to be joined to his fathers, gathered to his fathers, to wait for the coming of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, although we live after Christ's resurrection, until Christ's returns, this is also what we expect and believe. A time of waiting. Although we cannot see the, the fullness of God's kingdom and all its glory, we know that it is coming. And we want to express our faith in this promise also when we are buried, when we face our own deaths. Jesus Christ has gone ahead of us as the first fruits to prepare a place for us who believe in him. He has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, a, a pledge, like a little piece of land in the kingdom that, that is within us, assuring us that this is true for us as well. We can face our death with confidence in God's promises. We can know that our bodies that are buried in the ground today will be reunited with our souls in, in heavenly joy and glory with the promise of 1 Corinthians 15 in our minds, we can confess that our dishonored, perishable seeds of bodies that we bury will be raised imperishable and glorious in the eternal kingdom of our Father, like it was for Jacob and Joseph. Our burial is a testimony of our faith in the resurrection. And when we are ourselves, when we ourselves are in the grave, in a cemetery, maybe somewhere here in Edmonton or somewhere else, and people driving by on, on the road, they will, they will see a, a similar scene to what the Canaanites did so many years ago when they said, what is, what is going on over there? They will see the the gathering of our brothers and our sisters who are grieving from the sorrow of death and separation. They are grieving the effects of the fall into sin that hurt. But they will also see that God's people standing around our grave sites, they are not mourning like the rest of the world that has no hope. They will hear our friends and our family talking about our faith in the promises. It will be another opportunity to have that, that gospel proclaimed not only to family but also to co-workers and, and to others who are around helping with the burial. They will hear about your peace right to the end, your hope in Christ's work that remained with you unto death. Maybe it isn't the story of an old man lifting his feet into the bed, but, but it is a, a story that shows the peace of those who, who are taken home. And they will see the work of God continue in the next generation. 
and all those who, who worship in the church that you have supported for, for so many years, they, they will now hear the comfort that you have clung to all your life, the comfort of the gospel of Christ's victory over death. And they will confess around your graveside, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And so the paradise of God revealed in the beginning of Genesis, it returns at the end of Genesis. Jesus said that whoever believes in him will immediately be with him in paradise. How blessed are those whose strength you are, we say to God, who seek the ways that from afar lead them to Zion's holy places. Amen.